everybody welcome back to a short episode a short ecological update episode of a thousand cuts i'm your host demetrius here with my comrade and co-host ash say what's going on to the people what's up people hi i hope everyone's okay what's up what's up people so we back we're doing a standalone eco update episode because apparently, like we were talking about offline, Ashley, the planet is just simultaneously shitting the bed when it comes to weather and the climate. We're going to get into that. I'm going to give it up to you, Ash, and then you go ahead and you use your scientific expertise to tell us why shit is fucked up. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So we got to do this little pod because as you all may have experienced, for yourself, North America has had this giant heat wave hit us with unprecedented record temperatures, specifically in the Northwest. I'm going to read a little bit from an NBC News article and Reuters article regarding the heat wave that smashed Western Canada and Northwestern United States. Portland reported 116 degree weather that persisted until after the sun went down and was about 90 degrees after sunset. The worst of the heat wave passed Wednesday, but the state of Oregon reported 93 deaths as of today linked to the heat wave itself. They were asking a lot of local officials and people that lived in the Portland area how they thought industry would be affected there. And many people said that the salmon populations would undoubtedly suffer because of warming river temperatures. When they're at the mature period of their lives, they're in these river systems that have been affected by the heat wave in the past week. The crops that are produced in the region, such as dairies, would be affected by drought. And we've seen infrastructure systems being pushed to their limits, such as the electrical grid. Over 35 cities either tied or set record temperatures on Monday, many of them shattering all-time highs. Seattle and Portland specifically reported temperatures surpassing their previous records by 8 degrees. Experts said that this is really disconcerting to see such a crippling wave hit this early in the summer and added that implications would be dire for this coming year's wildfire season. They were also saying that basically these are things that they were predicting to happen to Demetrius 20 years from now based on climate data and CO2 data that's available, they were, yeah, making estimates that these cities would have increases between one and two degrees, not like five and eight. So it's already a, a pretty dire situation right now. Scientifically, the cause of this, they said, was a ridge of high pressure over the Pacific Northwest called a heat dome. The heat mm -hmm. dome is hot air that's moved and traps heat specifically in this case in the Northwest, and blocks other weather systems from moving through. The high-pressure system itself has been attributed to a tropical cyclone in the Western Pacific Ocean. We spoke to Associate Professor of Oregon State University, Larry O'Neill, who said, the tropical cyclones tend to disrupt the jet streams all across the Pacific Ocean, and they can affect both high and low-pressure systems. 
If you get a tropical cyclone, Larry O'Neill said, we're three times more likely to get a high-pressure ridge set up close to where we see one now. Exactly how climate change is affecting this jet stream is unclear, but we can see the combination of these complex atmospheric disturbances taking place in concert with global warming that we well understand. So here I have some global warming statistics that we do know and take as scientific fact. The National Climate Assessment that was conducted in 2018 found that heat waves in the U.S. occurred an average of six times per year in the 2010s, which is up from an average of two times a year five decades earlier. Also reported throughout the world, parts of Eastern Europe and Russia are currently baking under their own record highs. Some Bulgarian cities are predicted to reach 104 degree temperatures and Siberia soaring to nearly 90 degrees. Although attributing any specific event to climate change is tricky, scientists say the overall effect of global warming is undeniable, creating conditions that are ripe for heat waves and other extreme weather events. So I can say just from where I am here in Maryland, the Northeast is also experiencing part of the same high pressure current of warm air. And they're predicting that later this week, when a cold front comes in from across the Atlantic, that will cause extreme thunderstorms. There's tornadoes that are predicted, hail predicted, which will not be our first time having hail in the middle of this summer specifically. So it's all feeling quite dystopian with no end in sight. It's the end of the fucking world. It is the end of the fucking world as we know it. The end is nigh. Yes. The it's over, y'all. Unless, unless we gonna add a positive spin here, unless we do dual power and libertarian municipalism. That's really, that's, I mean, we, you know, I don't know what else, I don't know what else we're gonna do. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Because, okay, this, I don't, we don't need to like go too into this, but, you know, the Biden crew and et cetera, et cetera, they are willing to admit that climate change is real. And I feel like that's where the buck stops with them. I don't know what they've proposed as far as material changes or remedies. There won't be changes, but remedies other than throwing money around, right? Like, what are you seeing? So let's go into that a little bit. So recently, some Sunrise activists have been arrested next Mm -hmm. to the White House. As you know, I'm sure you're aware you may have seen it. Sunrise activists were blocking all 10 exits and entrances of the White House to bring awareness and to basically push back against the fact that this recent bill or proposal, like infrastructure bill, that was supposed to be bipartisan between Democrats and Republicans. The fact that it was basically really gutted of any of the serious investing that would need to be done in order to combat climate change and promote job creation. Because, of course, it's a bipartisan bill. Of course, Republicans are a fucking dipshit, fucking knuckle-dragging, moronic death cult, fascistic death cult. So they don't give a fuck that the planet is essentially imploding in on itself. So, of course, the Democrats being the fucking centrist morons that they are had to somehow appease, you know, Republicans and right wingers and the fascists that we have in the state by essentially compromising on that. I mean, both sides compromised on a bunch of shit, but that that is was a serious, critical, pivotal piece. 
was doing something about combating fucking climate change. So you had activists get arrested there. You also had activists get arrested here in Houston, Texas. I believe they were Sunrise activists as well. I believe it was eight of them got arrested because they were protesting again in front of Ted Cruz's home, who unfortunately his presence taints and, and warps the presence of this city, even though, you know, all of Texas is tainted and warped because we've been in fucking national embarrassment when it comes to our handling of COVID. I just wanted to hone in on that, hone in on the political suppression of people who are doing nothing more. Now they are being aggressive as you fucking should be. You should be bold. You should be in motherfuckers faces when it comes to stuff like this. Okay. But these are Absolutely. people who are doing nothing How more. How else are you to take it? Absolutely. How yeah. else are you supposed to treat? They are concerned about the state of the fucking climate and the fucking weather, which affects every single human being. This isn't some thing that you can just skirt off and be like, oh, well, these people are, you know, just being tree huggers. Like, no, like people, dozens of people died here in Texas from the cold snap and the cold snap destroyed infrastructure and our infrastructure was already shit because it wasn't being, it, it just wasn't being invested in. Our power grid is absolute trash. Frankly, the entire United States power grid is fucking shit. It's outdated garbage. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. People right yeah. now in places like Portland and Portland, I was I was hearing or that they could potentially have power grid issues because now it's now that it's burning the fuck up. More people are going to nine times out of 10 are going to go buy some sort of AC unit for their homes. Right. And that's going to draw on the power grid and fuck it up further. You know what I mean? It's just. Oh, yeah, they were having rolling blackouts. I think a lot of that contributed to heat wave deaths. And to your point, mm -hmm. Canada reported Oregon was reporting deaths in, in the tens, which is bad. Canada was reporting deaths in the hundreds due to this. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's devastating. And it, 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 it comes both ways, you know, there's this heat wave and then there's what happened in Texas. But either way, we aren't prepared for these things and the infrastructure is certainly not. Yeah. And, and speaking of infrastructure, we can talk about what happened in Miami yeah, so apparently in Florida, in Miami, there was, I believe it was a condominium collapsed and it claimed the lives of over, I believe it was the main number that I saw was like 179 people yeah. and counting because they're still going through the wreckage. The place had infrastructural damage. I mean, Miami is sinking. Miami is sinking. The place is fucking flooding. The foundation apparently under the condo was just sinking. In addition to what you're saying, the, the ground itself is not stable. And then the building needed repairs due to the pores being filled with salt water and brine from the air. So that was corroding the metal and concrete that was the structure of the building itself. Yeah. And apparently, I mean, this is what's insane to me. The building was built back in the 80s, like literally 1981. And it had been sinking since the 90s. And I believe that someone went and evaluated the building back in 2018 and saw the infrastructural damage. And so to me, that is a perfect encapsulation of we talk about when we constantly talk about the nature of capitalism is how it just values, as everyone says, it values profits over human life. The local government shouldn't have allowed that to go on. Florida, it's fucking, the place is fucking flooding. It's fucking sinking. And they continue to build these condominiums. Now, let me just read a little bit from this article in The Guardian. This great, great piece. It came out back in 2019. It's titled, Florida is drowning. Condos are still being built. Can't humans see the writing on the wall? And I'm going to read a little bit from this. Quote, 
2018 was the deadliest year on record for manatees. Like many of our coastal species, they're vulnerable to habitat loss and warming seas, which are more hospitable to algal blooms and red tide. Science has given us the foresight we need to make decisions that will reduce the future suffering of other species and ourselves, but we don't heed it. Why? Studies show that humans don't respond well to abstract projections. We overvalue short-term benefits, such as driving SUVs, burning coal, and building waterfront real estate. We choose these extravagancies, even though they impede beneficial long-term outcomes, such as saving threatened species or reducing the intensity of climate change. Humans tend to respond to immediate threats and financial consequences. And coastal real estate, especially in Florida, may be on the cusp of delivering that harsh wake-up call. The peninsula has outsized exposure. Nearly 2 million people live in coastal cities. On the list of the 20 urban areas in America that will suffer the most from rising seas, Florida has five. St. Petersburg, Tampa, Miami, Miami Beach, and Panama City. In 2016, Zello predicted that one out of eight homes in Florida would be underwater by 2100, a loss of $413 billion in property. I flew into Miami, and this is from the writer's perspective, I flew into Miami in early December, and the risk was visibly apparent from the airplane window. Aerial views of Miami and South Beach show high-density construction on flat, sandy slivers of land. A recent National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, predicts Miami streets will flood every year by 2070, end quote. Wow. So, and yet, as you said, they keep dumping money there and people keep moving there and they do nothing to repair any of these problems that we're all aware of. That's the capitalist fucking brain rot. I mean, that's it. it I mean, we, mm-hmm. you know, we recently had a great episode with our comrade and friend Daniel Berrien about scientific socialism, but something that he said about the nature of capitalist economics rings true with this, right? The capitalists never look at externalities. The system of capitalism constantly fails to plan for itself. I mean, it constantly fails Mm -hmm. to do that. It never has the capacity to self-critique or self-regulate the failures of its own model, as he would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what this is. We're seeing the destruction that can be wrought upon the planet due to the way that we do production, distribution, and consumption under this capitalist economic paradigm. It's so blatant that I just don't, you know, it's like you have conversations with people and it's like you wonder how people are just not anti-capitalist when you talk to them about this shit. Like it's blatantly, it's it's so apparent to me, but the propaganda is so strong. People's ability to not look at really what's, the lack of awareness, the lack of consciousness is so strong and it's just, it's sad and it's frightening, you know? It absolutely is. And I was listening to something earlier this week, I forget what it was, but basically brought up the Liz Warren form of capitalism again. And it made me, which I forgot about, but it totally applies. Like there is a thought process in which liberals think that, okay, the way that we are doing capitalism now is bad. They can recognize that this isn't sustainable and it's not going to work. But instead of abolishing capitalism, they see that it's sufficient to transform capitalism and just some sort of system of mitigating problems that are 
created by the system, which is, as we both know, impossible. Like it's working exactly the way it's supposed to work. And that's how it's going to work. You can't gamify it to make it less harmful for people. That's it. Exactly. Like they're trying to use capitalism to fix the problems that capitalism created. It's a sort of tautology or something. Hopefully I'm using that word correctly, but you know what I mean? It's this weird sort of contradiction. It's insanity. Did you have something on the international front about this as well? Yes. So this story is a bit more, much more dire. It's regarding Madagascar heading toward climate change linked famine that they did not create. An article from the Washington Post. As we just talked about, we've been dealing with our own heat waves here in North America and the same or similar things are going on with air currents moving throughout Europe and Russia. But in Africa, the infrastructure is not as stable and the governments aren't as stable and people are in much more precarious living situations as far as their health and safety. So in Madagascar, hunger has already left people eating raw red cactus fruits, wild leaves, and even the very locusts that help decimate their crops. The southern part of the country is experiencing its worst drought in decades, with the World Food Program, WFP, warning that 1.14 million people are food insecure and 400,000 people are heading towards starvation. In a vast Indian Ocean island, renowned for its remote beauty and unique ecosystem, Madagascar is sometimes referred to as the eighth continent but its problems, the problems it faces now are catastrophic. They are not primarily a result of political conflict or economic disorder, nor do they stem from isolated weather events, said Lola Castro, who is WFP's regional director in Southern Africa. The problem, Castro explained, is simply climate change. Amid conflict throughout Africa and coronavirus, which specifically hit the continent extremely hard, many parts of the developing world are facing these food crises. Among the worst hit are Sub-Saharan Africa amid the ongoing conflict in Ethiopia's Tigray. 900,000 people face famine conditions, according to U.S. estimates. The violence has contributed to the threat of famine in South Sudan, Other areas seeing conflicts, such as parts of Nigeria and Mozambique, are also seeing rising food insecurity. But in Madagascar, its primary cause is another seaward climate. The country's south is suffering from its worst drought conditions, like I said, since 1981, as well as other problems such as cyclones, dust storms, and even the locusts, which seem to thrive in these extremely dry soil environments. The changing climate could cause the scale of problem in such a short period of time has global health bodies deeply worried. The lack of consistent rainfall has been the most long-lasting effect on Madagascar because they have no ability to continue to grow food. With five of the last six rainy seasons in the country bringing low average rainfall, their field harvests, underfed livestock, and farmers have been forced to sell off what they had to buy food for their families. Let's see, they interviewed a father, Jean-Louis Tovasoa, who lives in the affected area, who said that over the last five years, these dust storms had become more and more frequent. They've been affecting a wide range of the territory. There have been no rains 
over the past three years, he told them, because of the persistent droughts, violent winds have swept away the good soil used for cultivation and killed the cactus plants that they had relied on in times of cyclical famine. So even the resources that these desert climates have provided in cyclical famine in this region are being destroyed by this drought, which is linked to the catastrophic outcome of climate change. It's destroyed their crops and killed animals such as cattle, sheep, and goats. The WFP does provide short-term supplies to people like Tovasoa and his family, but also helps Southern Madagascar to adapt to the realities of the new climate. A long-term plan may involve irrigation, Castro Regional Director said, but also may require new types of crops and cattle. So I thought that was an interesting place to look at what's being said here. We talk a lot in this country about climate refugees coming here to us, to Canada. There will be U.S. citizens, people that live here on the coast that will need to move inward as climate refugees. And there is the majority of the world who will be deeply affected by climate change and global warming that have no resources to go anywhere. So their options are to stay where they are and hopefully adapt to what's happening to them. It's a pretty dire situation in places like Madagascar. The pandemic itself is still raging in Africa and the Delta variant is on the rise. Meanwhile, lingering conflict in Tigray threatens to spill into a broader battle involving not just Ethiopia, but Eritrea as well, while refugees are pouring into Sudan. And amid these pressing challenges, it may be tempting to view climate change as a problem to be dealt with later. The crises caused by climate change beget other crises. Though Madagascar is relatively peaceful, it has struggled with conflict and ethnic divisions in the past. Children are being pulled out of education as food becomes more and more scarce. And meanwhile, food prices are rising around the world, thanks in large part to the trade pressures, pre-COVID shortages and trade conflict, as well as climate problems that were existing well before any of these things. What we're seeing now in southern Madagascar is just the tip of the iceberg, Castro said. Other countries will probably also see the fallout of a confluence of climate change conflict and COVID-19 in the coming months. We should expect things like this in Angola and northern Mozambique. The U.S. government has pledged in June, as I said, to contribute $40 million to combat hunger in South Madagascar. Then that's not a sustainable solution, but I guess that's something. The scale of the problem cannot be understated, nor the responsibility. These people contributed zero to climate change, Castro said of those living in southern Madagascar. They have no cars, they have no stoves, and they don't use electricity. They contribute absolutely zero, but they get the brunt of climate change, and it's a moral imperative that we have to support them. And I'm glad that you ended with that, because we, this is what people need to understand. It is going to be the poor, the working class, BIPOC people, marginalized people, oppressed people, who are going to bear the brunt of climate collapse. They're going to be the first people hit. They're going to get hit the hardest. And so it is so important Mm -hmm. that BIPOC people, Black, Brown, Indigenous people, that we have awareness and consciousness about this shit and that we start moving how we need to move to protect ourselves, to protect our family, our loved ones, and get 
some real collective unity on this shit. We need to care about this shit. We need to care about this shit. Because clearly the capitalists, the fucking nationalists, any of the power hoarders in our society do not give a fuck. Right. And again, this is just vindicating everything that we on the left, on this particular side of the left, have been talking about in regards to capitalism, in regards to the state and nationalism, right? This shit is accelerating the collapse, the disaster. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for giving us this information, despite how, (laughs) you know, unbelievably tragic and sad it is. But again, as we always say, it's not a time to despair. It's not a time to despair. What we need is to look at things in that holistic, social, ecological framework, right? We have to understand that our relations with nature and with the environment reflect and come from our relations with one another, right? So our social relations, as they currently stand, unfortunately, our social relations built upon violence, coercion, domination, exploitation, competition rather than mutuality and support and not to be too corny, but it's the truth, you know, hatred and bigotry rather than love. Right. So, and we're seeing all of that just feedback and come right back into us through the fucking climate. What are the solutions? (laughs) You know, we can't, we're not prophets. We can't broadcast into the future, but I do think that as we typically say, solutions is dual power. We have to start building new institutions, new infrastructure on our own collectively, because the state and capital are literally leaving us to fucking die. They're leaving the entire species to die, right? Because again, there's more of an emphasis on short-term benefit, short-term gain, short-term pleasure that's really accelerating long-term destruction rather than reeling that in in order to gain long-term benefit and progress. It's really fucked, but now is not a time to despair. Now is a time to get fucking organized collectively and start pushing back where you are at. Whoever you are listening to this shit, where you're at, you know, get some eco fucking consciousness going. Start talking about some social ecology. Let me start building some new shit. You know what I mean? People start building food, sovereign, independent food networks and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Start. If, if you care about electoral politics like that, I mean, I mean, we all should care. I mean, it's a part of the whole thing. But, you know, start pressing mm-hmm. these fucking politicians about policy, like all this shit. All this shit has to start. We always advocate for working in your community and doing what you can in your community. And I think on a, if you want to do things on a larger scale, the first thing you brought up about the climate protesting at the Capitol and at the White House, I don't think that that's nothing and it doesn't do nothing. That I think, you know, we've all seen that our current government, specifically our current administration, like the Dems are susceptible to peer pressure and optics. So if that's what you need to do to move the needle and to get them to, yeah, to make these decisions, then protesting is what it's going to do. You know, that's I guess that's what we got to do. That's what we got to do. That's what we got to do. Make shit difficult for these motherfuckers. In any way, shape, or form, really, a big part of what we need is that fucking general strike, man. That's a big part of what we need. But that's going to take uh, a lot of people putting a lot of bullshit aside. There's going to take a lot of discipline, a lot of coordination, a lot of planning. But that's really what we need. You know, it was a great piece, great short essay written by the late, great David Graeber. You want to save the world? We got to stop working. You know what I mean? We got to stop working. So, yeah, I just want to leave us. We're, we're going to wrap up. 
just make this a short episode where we're going to give the news, give a little bit of analysis. But I wanted to leave with this quote from the great Murray Bookchin, a figure that we always talk about on this podcast, just about the nature of the ecology and capitalism's relationship to ecology. So, quote, any attempt to solve the ecological crisis within a bourgeois framework must be dismissed as chimerical. Capitalism is inherently anti-ecological. Competition and accumulation constitute its very law of life, a law summarized in the phrase production for the sake of production. Anything, however hollowed or rare, has its price and is fair game for the marketplace. In a society of this kind, nature is necessarily treated as a mere resource to be plundered and exploited. The destruction of the natural world, far being the result of mere hubristic blunders, follows inexorably from the very logic of capitalist production, end quote. That's coming from his classic work, Post-Scarcity Anarchism. I'm going to leave y'all with that. Think about that. Anybody who's listening to this podcast, who's not convinced, (laughs) now's the time to start rethinking some of your political frameworks, fam. Some of your political beliefs. Now's the time. Some of your economic beliefs, now is the time because this shit is, this is historic shit that we're going through. And this could only get worse unless we really dive into creating and building alternatives for ourselves. But yes, y'all, thank y'all so much for listening to yet another episode of A Thousand Cuts, a BSA podcast. I'm your host, Demetrius, here with my comrade, co-host Ashley. This has been a eco-update. And we will see y'all next time. Peace, love, solidarity. Y'all take care. Bye.